Join with me as we pray to the King. So, Father, I thank you for that truth. I thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and someday soon you will return and rule and reign for all eternity. But until then, you reign now in the heavens and in our hearts. Lord, I thank you that you found it fit to come here, take on flesh, so that... As a man, you might die our death, that as God, we might live your life. Lord, I thank you for this weekend where we get to celebrate redemption and restoration. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this place and around the globe, that as we live in this place of it is finished on the cross and our redemption accomplished, that we look forward to the it is done when our restoration is made full. Until that day comes, may we just keep singing your praise and declaring your promises that all find their yes in Jesus Christ. It's in his beautiful, majestic name that we gather and pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Please have a seat. In the past and over many seasons... God spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days, he speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's because he is always the way God has spoken. Because you see, in the beginning, he, Jesus, was the word. The word that spoke creation into existence. He was in the beginning with God, and he was God. And everything that we see that has come into being has come into being through him. And apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. And in him was light. And the light was the life of men. And the light shined in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. But then get this. That word chose to become flesh and tabernacle, to pitch a tent to move into the neighborhood and live among us. And we, as followers of Christ, have beheld the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And not only did he come here to live, but he also came to prepare the way for us. To come and die for us. To go back to heaven and ascend to heaven after he rose to prepare a place for us. So he tells us, don't be worried and don't be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If, I, if that weren't true, I wouldn't have said that. But I go to prepare that place for you. I go to prepare the completely restored place. And if I go, I'm going to come again. And Thomas looks at him, his disciple, and he says, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus says, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Philip says, show us the Father and it is enough. And Jesus looks at Philip and says, have I been with you so long? Three years I've walked with you guys and you ask me to show 
you the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because you see, he is the exact representation of the glory of God. He is the imprint of God, is what Paul tells us. He is the image of the invisible God. And, and when we look at Christ, we see him. That is our king. He is the king that holds the universe together by the power of his word. That's why we gather here today. Because that's the kind of power he has. And yet that Savior was willing, although equal with God, to not consider himself equal with God and humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we could live eternal life with him. Guys, the empty tomb that we're here to talk about today, or that we're here to celebrate today, is living proof that the cross worked, that the payment was sufficient. So when Christ rises again, he is saying, I have overcome death and sin, I have brought victory, and I will come again. Because all of the promises of God that fulfilled the, his first coming, that we celebrate at Christmas, and then his death on the cross, and then his resurrection, all of those things have been fulfilled, and that completely affirms for us that all of the rest of the promises when he comes back will be fulfilled as well. No matter what we see going on in our lives, no matter what we see going on in the world, right? he still reigns. He has not lost control. He is the sovereign Lord. And here's the craziest part. In his sovereignty, he sees fit to put this message of the gospel, the good news that he saves sinners through his son Jesus Christ, he see, sees fit to put that truth into us, these messy, cracked clay pots, so that we can go tell people about him. Paul tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ, as if God were making an appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. So guys, if today is the day that you hear his voice, be reconciled. In that same passage, Paul says, today is the day of your salvation. And I pray that for each of us here. As we wrap up this resurrection season that we're in, we've been in this series we call The Cross-Centered Life, and how do we live our lives in, in, the, in the filter of through the cross and the power of the cross and the resurrection. I have one more place to go. And that is that we would live our lives centered on his restoration, on what is to come. If you are in Christ, you have been redeemed at the cross, at the cross. Now do you live focused on the future restoration, even as he is in the process of restoring us day by day because we desperately need it. So here's my question today. Are you ready to be restored? Are you ready to be restored? Amen. Amen. Guys, if the cross is about redemption, if that's what happened at the cross, then the resurrection, the empty tomb, is about restoration. Because that's what happened to Christ as the first fruit for us. He's just a picture of what is, his resurrection is a picture of what is going to happen to each and every one of us someday. That's where our hope is found. So are you ready for that? Because maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't really see a need for that. I don't see a need to be restored. I think I'm doing okay. 
I pray that today would be the day he'd open your eyes. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, man, I'm just too broken down and dilapidated to be restored. Let me, let, me, let me just tell you this. God is not interested in, Jesus does not do home makeovers. He does complete reconstruction. Right? He tears it down and he builds it up. So nobody here is too old. Nobody here has rejected the gospel too many times. Nobody here is, is has, maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, yeah, but Doug, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Get that, guys. Get that. There are no big sins and little sins. All sins are sins. They are all an affront to a holy God because he, we have, they are all rebellion against him. But here's the best part. He is a just God who has to punish that, and he is the justifier who provides the way of the payment. We don't need to run from that God. We need to run to that God. And that's what we're here to talk about today. But we're going to do it in a little different way. You're going to need a Bible today because uh, although we're not going to go through a, one passage like we normally do here, we're going to be in a lot of passages. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and I'm sure somebody will grab one for you because you're going to want to have the Word of God in your hand today for what we're going to talk about today. As we go through, and we're going to look at a life that was in desperate need of restoration. We're going to look at the life of Peter quickly, because not only are we going to see how Jesus beautifully restores him, but we're going to see ourselves in Peter's life, probably like few of the apostles. Peter was one of the apostles. He was one of the twelve. At the end of his three years with Jesus, he looks at Jesus and he says, no matter what, any, the, the night he's going to be betrayed and arrested, he looks at Jesus and he says, no matter what anybody else does, I will never leave you. He takes the place of Jesus and he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, which is what Christ says to us. And then Peter says, or then Jesus says these sobering words to Peter. Simon, Simon, which was Peter's name before he turned him into, before he called him Peter. And it was what, it was what Jesus would always call Peter when Peter was messing up. He'd go back to his old name. He'd say, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But how did Peter get to that place? That's three years into his walk with Jesus. How did he get there? Well, let's take a look at it. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Peter was a fisherman by trade. He was business partners with two of the other, well, his brother, Andrew, was, was, they were partners with James and John in fishing. This was not recreational fishing. This was lifestyle, like, like earning a living fishing. And let's take a, and they would fish then, look at Luke chapter 5. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book in your Bible, Luke chapter 5. And they would fish at night because that's when you would catch fish by net. And we're going we're gonna to look at Luke chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Peter has already, at this point, Peter has already interacted with Jesus several times. He's, he's followed Jesus, he's talked to him, but he's always gone back to being a fisherman. Now here comes this scene. It says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. 
And he saw two boats laying there at the edge of the lake and a fisherman, but the fishermen had already gotten out of them and were washing their nets. That means that they were done fishing, they'd worked all night long, and now they're washing their nets so that the water doesn't deteriorate their nets because they were expensive for them. So it, was a labo it, took hours, it, took, it took them several hours to put their tackle away each morning after fishing all night long. So they're in the middle of that process when it says, and he gets into one of the boats, Jesus does, and pushes out a little ways, and he says, and he sits down and he begins to teach, which is what teachers would do back then. When they sat, that meant they were about to say something important. So he sits in the boat, and then it says, um, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon, who's, remember, this is Peter now, but not yet, says, Master, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down my nets. Here is what he's saying. You don't catch fish in the daytime. You're the carpenter. I'm the fisherman. I know what we're doing. But, but because I have gotten to know you a little bit and I respect you some, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they filled both boats up until they began to sink. That's a lot of fish. But when Simon Peter saw what, saw what had happened, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because they realized that Jesus was God. That's not what it says, right? It says, because of the catch of the fish. They realized that something miraculous had happened, but they're not necessarily connecting it to the power of Christ. They're just assuming there's something different about him. Guys, when, how does that relate to us? Like, have we sometimes looked at Jesus and said, well, I, I sense that, that he's, a, he's a great moral teacher. He maybe had some, some connection to God that, we, that I don't have. So if I, know, if I learn more about him, I'll learn more about God. We'll come back to that in just a minute. There's another scene. We looked at it in the invocation passage. Jeff read it. But in Mark's version of Jesus walking on the water, it says, th it says this. Don't turn there, but it says that when Jesus was walking out on the water towards the disciples who were scared to death, it says he intended to pass by them. And that word is the same word that is used in the, in the Old Testament where it talks about the Shekinah glory of God passing by Moses. He is intentionally going to pass by the disciples in the boat to show them a glimpse of I am. In fact, he says to them, stop being afraid, I am. That's what the Greek says. Stop being afraid. The great I am is here. Now, Peter says, Mark does not, does not share the account of Peter walking on the water and, all, and that whole thing. It just says that when Jesus got back in the boat, the, the waves ceased. And they were amazed. But they don't yet give him credit for who he is. And the reason is given by Mark. It says because they hadn't, and again, don't turn there, but the reason is given. They hadn't understood what happened 
when Jesus fed the 5,000, which was right before that scene. He feeds the 5,000, he sends them in the boat. But they didn't get the sign. This, this man, this rabbi, Jesus, takes five loaves and two fish and feeds probably 10,000 people with it. And they don't get it. Because they're still thinking he's just, there's just something special about him, but we don't really know what. And I wonder, like, how much of that is, is me. When I, when I, in the first 20-something years of my life as an unbeliever, that's, even as people were hand, in high school and then in college, and people would hand me a Bible, they'd ask me to read something. I, I've shared with you before, they handed me a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. I would, I, if you're a skeptic or a cynic or you know somebody that is, strongly encourage you to read it or have them read it because he makes this great argument of, of, you know, here's what we tend to do with Jesus. We tend to say he was a great moral teacher. He was just in tune with God. And man, I was, that was who I was. So somebody who understood that about me hands me this book and I read it and he makes a really good intellectual argument, not a religious argument, an intellectual argument that says that does not work. Jesus claimed to be God over and over and over again. So either he is God or he is a liar or something worse. A demon from the pit of hell is what C.S. Lewis says. So accept him as one of those. He's a liar. He was a deceiver, a demon. Or he is who he claimed to be. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. So we're going to go back to the left a little ways from where we were in Luke. Matthew 16, I'm going to start in verse 13. It's a kind of familiar scene to some of us, but it says, Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus had come to the district of Caesarea Philippi, so now he's been walking with his disciples for a while. It says, he turns to his disciples and he says, who do the people say that I am? And they say, some say John the Baptist and other Elijah, but others Jeremiah and the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? In the Greek, the emphasis there is on the you. What say you? He's asking them personally, what do you, who do you? It is the question of life. Who do you say Jesus is? And Simon Peter pipes up, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus kind of pats him on the head and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because... Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he said, also, you are Peter, but, I, but upon, I will call you Peter, but upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the turning point in Jesus' ministry. This is where he turns specifically in teaching his disciples and in what he's teaching everybody is where he starts to turn like almost literally physically to the cross. He is from this point on, he is going to start teaching them that he must suffer. Now you say, wait a second, Peter, right? Life of Peter. He went from not really believing him, sort of believing him. He's on his face in his boat. He, he leaves everything and he starts following him as his teacher. He's still struggling to figure out who this guy is. And he's like, right here, he makes the profession of faith. But here's what I would say to us. How many of us could say in our past, 
Maybe you're sitting here today and, you're, and you believe that you're a Christian. And you say, you know what, I, how, do I, how do I know I'm a Christian? Because I prayed a prayer. Because I walked an aisle. Because I raised my hand. None of those things like, like say that you're not a Christian, but none of those things say you are. Peter says, you are the Christ. He is not a Christian at this point. He is not saved. He is not sealed in the Spirit. Raising your hand, walking an aisle, praying a prayer does not make you a Christian. What does? Well, we'll get there. Look at what happens in the very next scene. Look at verse 21. So at some point, not very far in the future, so, G so Peter makes this profession. You are the Christ. He raises his hand. He prays his prayer. And then it says, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Now get this. So he's telling them. So at this point, he's sort of teaching a new teaching to Peter. He's like, I'm going to suffer and die. Look at what Peter's response is. The Peter who just called him the Christ. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Do you get what he's saying there? I mean, just picture that for a minute. He's talking to his disciples. He's telling them, here's what's going to happen. Here's the plan. It's got to be this way. And Peter grabs Jesus and pulls him aside and tells him, you're wrong. Wait a second. But guys, again, how often do we do that to Christ? When he tells us, guys, this is the way your life needs to be. I get that you're struggling. I get that it's not all roses and rainbows and unicorns. I get that it's not exactly what you wanted it to be, but it's what I have exactly intended for you. And we say, no, Lord. Peter was really good at that. And look at Jesus' answer. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I'd like to be called Satan by Jesus. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man. Do you see the difference? G Peter has professed faith, you are the Christ, but not as Jesus as Lord. To him, the Christ was just a military ruler that was going to come relieve them of their bondage from Rome, like, Jesus, like, like Moses did in the Exodus against Egypt. Are we truly ready to follow Jesus, not just as our Savior, but as Lord of our lives? Because his call is really clear. Look at the very next section. We're going to finish this little part right here. Verse 24. Right after this scene, Jesus chooses to say this. If anyone wishes to follow after, come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to lose his life, to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Okay, following Christ is an all-in proposition. We have sold it as just one more room in our life, one more plate we have to spin, keep spinning, one more room addition onto our house. Jesus, nowhere in Scripture, whether it's in the words of Jesus, Paul, Peter, nowhere is that conveyed. It is an all-in, I'm going I'm to leave everything and follow him. That's what Jesus tells us to do. And Peter wanted to do the right thing. 
Right? He is the one who gets out of the boat and walks on the water. He is the one that will speak up when the other ones are afraid. Sometimes to his shame, but sometimes he got it right. right? He, he wanted to be that person, but his pride always got in the way. And so does ours. Every time God is here and Doug is here, it's because my big idol of self is stuck in the middle. So let's take a look at that. Turn to Matthew 26 now, towards the end of the gospel. And let's look and see Peter's greatest failure. He's now walked with Jesus for three years. Remember where we started? If, anybody, if everybody else leaves you, I won't. I'm not doing that. I am better than everybody else, is what he's telling Jesus. I have got this figured out. And now let's look at it in verse 33. He says, even if all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you that this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But Peter said again, even if I have to die with you, I will not de deny you. Guys, have you seen times in your life where your faith puffs you up? We're just better. We just do it better. Our families are stronger. We're more moral. We're not into all that deep, dark sin. We're not those people. That's what Peter's doing here. Fill in the blank in your own life. He's saying no matter what anybody else, no matter whatever sin anybody else does, including rejecting you, I won't because I'm just better. In fact, in fact, Jesus, you are so lucky to have me on your team. Like, seriously. Man, you just, like, like you must have had the number one dra draft pick in the draft this year because you picked me. Pick it up in verse 69 of Matthew 26. Trial comes. Jesus has now been dragged from, from trial to trial. He's now in the court, in a small courtroom. It doesn't really convey it here in Matthew, but in Luke... Because this is, this is not Jesus is way off in the distance and Peter is here. In Luke, it actually says, in Luke twenty two sixty one, 61, I think it says, when, 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 when we read this scene that we're about to see, it says that P Jesus, at that point, when Peter denies him the third time, it says Jesus looked, turned around and looked at Peter. That's how intimately close they were in this setting. Jesus heard every word. So it says here in verse 69, Now Peter was sitting around the courtyard, and a servant girl came and said, You too are with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. Number one. When he had gone out to the gateway, gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were with them, This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Number two. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. And then, and th now get this, Th these are the words Jesus heard. Then he began to curse and swear. Guys, this was not some little like quiet, I don't, I don't really know him, I don't really know him. He is boldly, foully denying Christ in the presence of Christ. Like I said, Luke, it says, at that point, Jesus turns and looks at him. 
Which is why, in verse 75, it says, Peter remembered the words of Jesus, saying, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. How about you? Have you felt like a failure? Maybe you're sitting here today going, you know what, I have, I have professed faith in Christ over and over, and I find myself cursing his name with my very life. Maybe not verbally, maybe it is, but maybe it's just in what you're doing, and you're like, you know what, I, there's no way I'm going to be phony and fake and go back to him. Because I know me, and I'm just going to fail again. Guys, that is not the gospel. That is the enemy. That is the father of lies from the pit of hell. And that's where you need to send him. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, you know what, I come in, I come in this place every Sunday just beat down. Right? I, I, there's no way the gospel is for me. Maybe you come here and you're like, you know what, there's no way God could ever forgive me for you believe he can forgive you for everything else, but there's this one sin in your past that you just cannot believe he can forgive you for. Maybe you're sitting here today, and you're going, you know what, I have heard the gospel, I've heard the gospel, I've heard the gospel, I've rejected it too many times, I've never responded to the call, I've never, and, and so for me to do that now, there's, there's just no way I can do that now. He won't, t he won't accept it, because of all of those times. Guys, Again, none of that is the gospel. Grace says you're wrong. Grace says you're wrong. If you believe that there's anything that you could do, have done, whatever, that could keep you from the love of Christ, grace says you're wrong. You need to embrace that. We need to embrace that. So let's fast forward a couple, of, uh, um, a couple months in, in Peter's life. So he's a complete failure here. Now, we're going to skip quite a bit. We're going to go a couple months. We're going to go to Acts chapter 4. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is that next book. We're going to go to Acts chapter 4. At this point, what has happened in Peter's life, and I'm, and I'm going to come back again, back in time, but what's happened in Peter's life, the Holy Spirit has come in Acts chapter 1. Big deal. We'll get there in a minute. In Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 3, Peter gives this great gospel presentation and thousands get saved. So wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we left Peter in the courtyard while walking away from the courtyard weeping bitterly because he's failed Christ. And now, in Acts chapter 2 and 3, and now what we're going to see in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 7, this happens. So what in the world happened to Peter? Because look at what he says here in, in Acts 4, 7. When they had placed them in the center. So, so Peter and John have been arrested. They've probably been beaten a little bit. They've been, brought, they've been brought into the courtyard, set in front of everybody, the very people that crucified Christ and that could have him executed. And they say, by what power and what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial for the benefit done to this sick man, as, you, as to how this man has made, was made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, you have, you were, who, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Guys, in front of the very people that he is saying in foul language, 
I don't know him. He's not only going, yeah, I know him. He's going, and you know what? You're going to burn in hell if you don't know him too. What happened? He says, this is what happened. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter came to believe this, that the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, became the chief cornerstone, and there is, no, there is salvation in no one else because there is no other name given to men among earth by which you can be saved than Jesus Christ the Nazarene. And he came to believe it in his heart, and it changed everything about him. It changed everything about how he lived. And if we believe it, it ought to change everything about us. Do you remember where we started? Even if everybody denies you, I won't. Jesus is like, Simon, Satan is after you. But after you have denied me, when you have turned again back to me, you will strengthen your brothers. That's the scene we're looking at in Acts chapter 4. But guys, how did he get there? How did we get from where we left him off at Ma in Matthew 26 to this powerful scene in Acts 4? Well, one, the Holy Spirit came into his life, but he wasn't ready for that yet. Guys, if you're sitting here today and you are beat down, you can't even look up. He was at a place where he didn't, he felt a complete failure. So let's go to the scene that we skipped. Go to John 21. It's the last place we're going to look as we begin to wrap up. John 21. Peter needed to be restored. And Jesus knew it. This is before Pentecost, before what we just read in Acts, but after the denials at some point, they go back up to Galilee, and, they, and, they're and Peter's just like, you know what? I'm a complete loser. I'm a complete failure. I'm going back to my old life. In the first part of John 1, uh, 21 and 1 through 17, there's this whole scene of like, he just looks at the disciples, he's like, I'm going fishing. And he doesn't say, I'm going to go fish to relax. He's saying, I'm going back to my old life. And maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you're like, you know what? I, yeah, I, I remember, like, I, I felt like I really made a commitment to Christ, but somehow I've ended back up in my old life. You just got to lay that at the foot of the cross, claim his grace, and remember that you are well loved. Because the same, what Jesus does is he, is he takes them back, he repeats the whole scene where we started in Luke 5. He's like, hey guys, did I catch any fish? Like, no. Hey, why don't you throw your net over the other side? They catch a bunch of fish. They're like, oh, that's Jesus. Cool. Peter puts on his coat, which I don't really understand, and jumps in to swim to him. Because he's so like, man, the last time I saw him, I failed him. And I just want so desperately to be near him again. And I have a shot. Here it is. So the rest of them come in, and we'll pick it up. They get to the shore. Jesus has already made them breakfast. He's just like, fish, boom. Breakfast served. He feeds them breakfast. And then in verse 15, it says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus looked at Simon Peter and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than anything else in the world? 
Do you love me more than these other disciples? Do you love me more than your past life? Do you, lo- do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, but do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, shepherd my sheep. Do you get what he's saying there about the tend the lambs and shepherd the sheep? We don't have time to go through. I've taught through this passage before when we were going through the Gospel of John. But, but guys, he is saying you will be restored to service for me. Your life is not marked by your failure in that courtyard. Your life is marked by me. He's saying, I am going to restore you. He said to him a third time in verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it a third time. Probably took him back mentally to that, those denials. He's like, yep, Jesus remembers. He says, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I love, I, you, know that I, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. After you have turned back to me, this is the scene where Jesus turns him back, you will strengthen your brothers. That's what happened here. Guys, you got, we, we have to understand this. There is no heart, not Peter's, not yours, not mine, that is too hard for his loving and redeeming grace. There is no heart too hard for that. There's no place you can go that his grace can't reach you. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever sitting here today, there is nowhere you can run, no sin you can commit, where his grace is not more than sufficient. But we have to believe that because we have to believe that that motivation for that is love. His love for us then turned... What, what, what Peter had to come to understand in order to receive the Holy Spirit was, Peter, I love you because of me, not because of you. Your profession that you're not going to deny me carried zero weight. Because it didn't matter either way. Not just because I knew the truth, he's saying. Because it didn't matter. Because it ain't about you, Peter. It's about me. It's about me in your life. Me living through you. And once Peter got to that place where he's like, look, Jesus is going to restore me, he was able to embrace the gospel and receive the Holy Spirit. That's where we have to get As the music team comes up to lead us in a song of response, I just want to ask you, can you thank him for your failures? Can you thank him for your struggles? Can you bring your junk to Jesus? Because it's when we do that, we are proving to ourselves we really trust him. We really know him. We really believe he loves us to the full. Not just the good part of us. He loves all of us. Even the junk. Because that's what he died for. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the truth. I thank you for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the truth 
that your grace is more than sufficient, that your power is perfected in our weaknesses. So I pray right now as we have a few moments here to just respond to your love for us, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would not hide things from you, that you would rend our hearts open to you, that, you, that, that we would do that because we know you love us. There's nothing to hide. There's no need. For then, when we lay all of our junk down, the power of the Spirit can flow into and through us. Your love covers a multitude of sins. May we give them to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. In that scene we just looked at in John, Peter is walking with Jesus, and Jesus says to him, you're going to suffer for me. That's part of life. It's the song we just sang. And Peter can't help it. Bless his heart. He turns around and he looks, and he's like, yeah, but he sees John. He says, yeah, but what about him? Is this just for me, or is this for everybody? And I can almost picture Jesus just kind of, you know, gently at this point, you know, grabbing Peter by the shoulders and putting his hands in his face and he says, or his face in his hands and he says, you follow me. Just, that, that's all I'm asking you to do, Peter. Just follow. Don't worry about the world. Don't worry about your brothers. Don't worry about what happens. Don't, don't worry about whether your walk is different than this person's walk or that. Just follow me. I'll get you home. I'll get you home. There is no heart too hard for his loving and redeeming grace, and there is no life too lost for his perfecting and restoring grace. Just quickly going to share a couple things that we learn from Peter's life that hopefully apply to us that we can take home. Jesus chooses the unlikely to be the most loved. These were not professionals. These were not born leaders. These were not rich people. Peter was a poor fisherman who was not very eloquent of speech. Men like him turned the world upside down. He doesn't look for the gifted leader because from his perspective there are none. We are all sinners. And we all fall short of the grace of God apart from him. But will we admit it? The people he's looking for are the people who will say, yeah, I need Jesus. Jesus patiently teaches. Because he's not looking for ability. He's just looking for availability. He knows, I will teach you. Just follow me. Just follow me. I am your shepherd. Do you hear his voice? Jesus overcomes our fears. Peter was so afraid that he, didn't, that he vulgarly denied Christ to his face, in all essence. And then stands in front of those very same people and puts it in their face. Puts the gospel in their face. What happened? Jesus is what happened. Jesus forgives unfaithfulness. 
right? There's nothing, guys. There's, there's nothing. I know I've said it, and I'm going to keep saying it because it's my struggle. It's our struggle. Whether, you're, whether you've been a believer your whole life or you're sitting here today still rejecting the gospel, guys, it is not about your faithfulness and your worth because when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. That's why he won't deny you. And the last thing is Jesus sees us not as we are, but as he intends us to be and how he will make us. Because he's not interested in improving your self-worth. He is interested in making you priceless. The world says, you're awesome. You be you, right? Young people in the room, that's the thing. You be you. The enemy says, you're awful. You should be embarrassed about you. Jesus says, you're mine. You just be mine. And everything else will take care of itself. Because we are here today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The proof that sin has been paid. That death has been overcome. That victory is ours. Right? Whatever tomb you have placed yourself in. Whatever tomb you have placed yourself in. The stone has been rolled away. But you have to step out of it. You can't just sit in there in the dark. Right? The gospel is the power to get you out of the tomb you have put yourself in. If you don't know that power, I would beg you, don't leave here without talking to me or to Jeff or one of the other leaders or their wives. Or there's, there's a whole bunch of people here that would love to tell you about how they've been freed from the dark and brought into his marvelous light. But remember, the stone is rolled away. Step out. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth that we don't need to wonder. We don't need to wonder what's going to happen next. Because we know the end of the story. We know that after you rose again, you ascended, and you now sit at the right hand of God making intercession on our behalf. Every time the enemy comes as the liar that he is and accuses us before the throne of God, you say, I paid for that one, I paid for that one, I paid for that one. What else you got, liar? So Lord, I pray that we would embrace that. I pray that we would embrace the hands that are, that are trying to lead us out of the tombs that we put ourselves in over and over and over again. That we wouldn't sit and cower in the darkness. We have no reason to be afraid of the dark, for we are the light of the world because your light shines in us and your light is life. You have brought us to life just like you came back to life. Lord, I pray for those right now in this place that are still stone cold dead. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that brings people back to life, that today they would be brought back to life. Lord, I pray that today they would realize that their stone on the entrance of the tomb they've put themselves in has been blown off. And that by the power of your spirit, they would step out. They would step out in boldness. I pray for those of us that do know we're yours. 
Lord, I pray that we would remember that you've called us to walk above the waves of this world, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and then sits at the right hand of God. We don't serve, we don't worship, we don't believe in some feeble Savior, but a risen Lord who reigns now and will return in glory and power and tell us all that restoration is complete. It is done. Lord, I pray that until that day comes, may we be found praising your name, declaring your promises, and trusting in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and join us for one last song before we